Hello, welcome to the Ordinary Church Podcast. This is a podcast about the church and for the church. I am Connor, I'm here with Mike, and today we are talking about uh, election and predestination and specifically trying to unpack uh, and maybe lean into a little bit of the emotional side of this discussion. So Mike, you were preaching this past Sunday about God uh, choosing us in Christ before the foundation of the world. I think there's more to come this coming Sunday. So this podcast is falling in the middle of this kind of time in the preaching and the life of the church. So lots of people have this on their mind. And today we just want to we want to talk about how does how can we understand uh, election and predestination, especially when there are so many strong emotions connected with this. And lots of people, even in conversations that we probably both had since Sunday, people are just you know bringing things up. How am I supposed to uh, uh, appreciate this, celebrate this doctrine that God has chosen his own from before the foundation of the world when there's so many emotional attachments as well for me and maybe some internal kind of turmoil. So, mm-hmm. Mike, let me just ask the first question to you. Why why do you think that this topic in particular generates such strong emotions? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. And we're talking about the topics of election and predestination, which are uh, both found in uh, Ephesians 1, verse 4, and then verse 5. So election in verse 4, predestination in verse 5. And just to clarify as well, uh, we're not talking about like one and the same thing. It's not redundancy. It's I, I put it as different facets of the same beautiful diamond, okay? Mm. So that God's redemptive work includes his predestination of believers and his election of them. So you could put it this way, that predestination is the reason for election. And so uh, because God marked us out beforehand and marked out to determined to bring us into his family as his inheritance, as sons and daughters, that uh, he then chose us out of all humanity. Mm. Okay, and so, and that's what we're talking about. And it does generate a lot of emotions. I mean, I, I uh, jokingly said on Sunday, I, I, I didn't mean it as a joke. When I said it first hour, I wasn't even thinking what I was saying. I just said it, and I said I was an election denier, meaning I had denied the doctrine of election back in my past. And some, I could see some <laughs> guy kind of like laugh out loud, and I'm thinking, what? Why did he do that? And after the service, someone goes, you know, you said I was an election de- denier. And I'm thinking, oh, man. I wasn't thinking politically. I was thinking of doctrinally. And it's funny how you, you don't think about those things sometimes. But um, look, I, there's a lot of emotions. There were a time that I would have taught, fought you tooth and nail hmm. over this doctrine and said, how could this be? Right. And of course, when I was an unbeliever, it sounded completely preposterous. But as a, as a new believer, it sounded a bit unfair, right? And so I was like, wait a minute, how could that be? Mm-hmm. I think I want to throw something out, and, I, and I, cause I'm, I think we need to be sensitive to everybody and go, we understand where people are coming from. But it is interesting that it does generate a lot of emotions and sometimes such strong emotions that people don't, I don't know, want to have like a real conversation about it or a discussion about it. And so I, I would want to diffuse as much of that as I could. We're not saying if you don't if you don't believe this that you're crazy, but we're saying Paul is celebrating this. He's praising God for it. He's not doing a theolo- uh, a theological treatise on it nor a philosophical um, explanation of it. He does do that in Romans nine, okay, where he says, "I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion." It does not depend on the human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy, and so on and so forth. Hmm. He is explaining, yeah. you know, the doctrine of election, right, right. predestination there. But in, in Ephesians 1, he's just saying, let's just rejoice in it. Well, here's what we got to understand. Number one, when he wrote to that first century group, they knew exactly what he was talking about. 
in context, knew what the words meant in context, and even whatever ex explanation was given was far less than what we need uh, here, sitting here in 2023. In some sense, they had they had less. We were just talking about this before we went on. They had a lot less uh, kind of data and teaching to work against in terms of unraveling people's previous ways of thinking. Is that kind of what you mean? That would be a good way to put it, sure. But, I, but even that they knew exactly what his words meant in context. They were already on the same page. Well, they, they knew what the Greek words meant in context, okay. and they, so they were able to get authorial intent quicker. Got it. Now, it was absolutely foreign to a pagan who had come to Christ. He, they would be like, what? But it would be like a, a good what? Like, wow, what, wow? Hmm. This is true? This is what God did? Yeah. I've been enslaved to, to false idols. But what I'm saying is they, get the, they got the authorial intent and the meaning, the, the grammatical, historical, hermeneutic, um, literal hermeneutic right away where we have to peel back the layers of the onion more yep. and more and more. Yep. In fact, think of the Age of Enlightenment. Most of us would go, wow, what a great period of, of literature and arts and inventions. And Well, here's what we got from the Enlightenment. The idea that man, by unaided human reason, could work his way to God. And that idea has filtered down. It's in the air we breathe, the water we drink. And so human nature is to resist God's sovereignty. But believers also with these kind of ideas, these you know, self-determining ideas that were given, you're the captain of your fate, you're in control, you make the decision. Even, uh, and again, a lot of evangelism I did, <laughs> which wasn't as simple as believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved, but almost like, you must make the choice, and if you don't make the yeah. choice, you know, and really laying it on them, yeah, right. I yeah. remember one writer that I read once that said something like this, and and this shocked me. This actually, this actually is what helped me realize that the doctrine of election is what the Bible clearly teaches. Hmm. There was a pastor that wrote a book on First and Second Peter in the 1970s, and he said, "God casts one vote for you." Satan casts one vote against you, and you cast the deciding vote hmm. in terms of your salvation. There's a poetic uh, balance to that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and as I read that, I immediately was red flags were going up all over because I had begun to read that this was in the early 80s, and I had begun to read the Bible. I'm like, but that's not what the Bible says. Yeah. I can't find that anywhere yeah. in the Bible. And you think of, you know, there's some sort of creative license with evangelistic appeals, but I'd say that some of us maybe took that a little too far mm -hmm. and maybe then created theological license. Hmm. And so why is there so many emotions? I, I just gave you a really long answer, and I apologize. But I think it's because we – I wrote – you know, actually, I didn't know you were going to ask me this, and I wrote something down uh, earlier today that I think will make sense. Yeah. So let me just find it really quick here. Um, that some – that we – what is it that we, um, I thought I wrote something down that would actually go with that. Yeah, right here. Okay. Okay. That many, yeah, I, this is, this is by the grace of God. Praise God. By yeah. the sovereignty of God. We didn't plan this, everybody. Did we didn't call each this. other this morning. That culture, but I was thinking this through this morning. Uh, interestingly, earlier, mm -hmm. a couple hours ago. Okay, so the culture has an idea of how things are, and it's very self-deterministic. So they're going to always push against God's sovereignty. Hmm. And I think most people, even believers, come to their views somewhat innocently. And what I mean by that is, well, I, I think this. It seems to make sense. I'm sincere. I'm not trying to be a bad person here. Mm -hmm. I'm, 
taking it as I hear it, and it seems like this would make sense. And But then what happens is when we're confronted with, but here's what the Bible really says, and you have a choice to make, and it's either going to be a humility or a pride thing. Am I going to learn from the word and, and receive it and accept it, or am I going to push it away and resist it? And so that's where, going back to the question of how can I rejoice in something that I always was told was otherwise than I had just got explained, well, that's tough. It's kind of like, oh boy, I'm going to get myself in trouble right now. <laughs> um, but you know how before you got married, you always told yourself, I'm not going to have sex before I get married. I'm I not going to have sex before I get married. Correct. Wouldn't be good. Wouldn't be prudent. Right. It's not pure. Okay. Then you get married and all of a sudden you're told, now you can have sex with your spouse. Yes. Do you know what I'm saying? Also true. So you've, all, you've been telling yourself <laughs> I'm really, one, I'm, one thing for a long time. Uh, yep. And then immediately things find flip. Out, okay. And, yeah. And the interesting thing is for a believer, hmm. you were only self-determined before you came to Christ. Then when you read the Bible, you open up the Bible, and even on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached something similar. I erroneously said once that on the day of Pentecost, Peter didn't say anything about election or predestination. Hmm. Turns out I was absolutely wrong, okay? Because at the end of his sermon, he says to them, as he's calling them to, to, to repent and believe, he says, the promise is for you and your children. Where do you get this? Where do you hear this? The promise is for you and your children. He's talking to rank pagans and Jews. Mm -hmm. So Jews who knew the word of God, and then pagans that were listening in, all on the day of Pentecost. Right. And... For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Oh, I was so wrong. I, I corrected myself, and I only found this a couple of years back, I'm yeah. just, I, honestly. So I don't know. I, I just think there's a lot. I, I think I left something dangling there, but uh, no, I, I throw well, it back I, to you. I feel like maybe a lot of what you're saying is that the kind of the cultural moment is that I, I – I'm the captain of my own destiny, and so that election just flies in the face of that. I'm thinking of, I feel like, and we've probably both heard lots of people maybe, maybe bring up two additional reasons that it's such an emotionally charged thing. I would say one, and, and you can add to this list, but I'd say one, people feel that somehow the idea of God's sovereignty in electing and predestining actually, actually um, it doesn't square with their conception of God's character. And they think that it, it is hard to reconcile that with his what they know of his love and his care and his, his kindness and his heart towards people. So I'd say, I'd say that would be one. And then second, I think that and and we've talked about this before as well. But there's a personal, you know, there's a personal kind of and this could even be related to background and backstory. But the personal aspect of, but I have a friend, a family member, somebody that I've been hoping to see come to Christ for a long time. I have this person in my life, and I. Maybe they don't. They feel it's a cold thought to think that at the end of the day, it's just kind of a roll of the dice, were they chosen or not, and that's kind of the end of the story. So I feel like those two ideas: one, you know, it seems to distort God's character, and two, that there's like there's somebody in my life who I want to see become a Christian, and it's hard for me to think that maybe they, you know, weren't among the chosen. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I those feel like yeah. some of the most common things I've heard. Does that does that square with what you would say? Yes, and I'd like to answer each one of those in yeah. turn. Yeah. Because I, and let's start with the last one. Let's start with the personal one first, because this yeah. is where every one of us has people that doesn't know Christ. And 
you, you said it sounds like kind of a cold thought or a roll of a dice or kind of unfair. Yeah. Well, here, here's the thing. That's true no matter what. And, and if but the quicker we can understand that, the better, that we, we know not everyone is getting saved. Yeah. Okay? So we already know that people are dying and going to hell. Right. We're, we're crushed by it. Where people get really kind of, I'm going to say weird, sorry, but when they get kind of weirded out about it, is, wait a minute, God predestined that? How dare he or how could he? Again, we'll get to the next question if it doesn't seem to fit his character, but let's just think about this. If everyone is saved, no one is saved. If everyone is chosen, no one is chosen. If everyone is predestined, no one is predestined. If it's universalism, there's no reason to preach the gospel. Okay, mm. it's just it's it, it wouldn't be it would be absurd for God to set up a situation where He said you're lost in sin, but you're all going to heaven anyway. But we're going to give you this gospel that you have to say yes to, even though you don't need to have say yes to because you're getting saved anyway. It makes no sense. It makes you scratch your head. So when you just think it through and go, okay, wait a minute. The emotion is this. I had a friend, a dear friend, that got very upset at another friend of mine that was that was teaching through Ephesians one. Yeah. And on election, and they 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 um, I think I might have mentioned this in a previous episode, but they they got really angry and actually came to me and said, "Which one of your five kids are you going to choose to send to hell?" That was their question to me. Like, wow. Mm. This was an older couple, okay, and um, probably 40 years older than me. And I, I'm, I was shocked. I was like, well, what, what, what happened? What, what's wrong? And they're like, well, we're out of here because you guys are you're teaching uh, that, that, that God chose beforehand who would be saved. Well, it turns out they had a son who had um, really gone in a, mm-hmm. in a bad way. Yeah. And they were very burdened, rightly so. Totally. I was burdened totally. for him. We were all praying for him. But their thought was, but if God had already determined it, then, you know, here's the thing. And, and I mentioned this last Sunday. We don't know what God has determined. Okay, The Bible also says that he knows the, uh, the days ordained for us when as yet there was one of them. I don't see many people getting angry at God because he limited their days. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, wait, so my friend who died at age 35, am I supposed to be mad at God because... That was when God took him home. Now he's in heaven forever. Yeah. And I'm supposed to be, I can't be angry at that. Right. Would that make God bad? So it's interesting that there are a lot of things that God ordains that we're okay with. Yeah. It just so happens that salvation is one of those things that we're like, you can't touch that guy. Right, right. You said that on Sunday. I appreciate you. There's almost everything in your life, you know, aside from some concrete decisions that you've made have come to you. You know, Uh the family you were born, the place you were born in, the time in history that you were born, all of that's under God's sovereignty. Yes. I think that part of the reason this is especially hard for people is because of the stakes. You know, we're talking about eternity. And so I think that's where it yeah. starts to have an additional kind of a teeth to it of w- mm-hmm. whether or not somebody comes to Christ determines yeah. whether they're going to be with him in the new heavens and the new earth or sent into the outer darkness and being under yeah. his judgment forever, eternally. Yeah. So there's such a weight to that. But before we go on to the question about God's character, I was just going to ask, too, maybe to try to kind of alleviate some of the coldness to that. There is examples all over Scripture of people uh, praying that people would be saved. So uh, how would prayer and, and ask pleading with God, Lord, please save right. my, my sister, my brother, my son, my daughter, mm-hmm. is, that, does that, is that incompatible with God's sovereignty, or how do we think about that? Yeah, absolutely not. It's a, in, in fact, interestingly, you don't see 
tons of that, but you see it, and it's it's that, the heart. That's a good Why point. did Paul? But here's what you do see: Paul saying, "I'll give up my salvation for theirs." Right in like, the very chapter Romans nine, where he starts hello. to talk about yeah, God's yeah, sovereignty. and then Romans eleven, it's like, oh my goodness. Hmm. So yeah, a passion. Uh, Paul says, "Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel," because Paul wasn't God; he didn't know who he had elected, who he had uh, predestined. And um, just by the way, listeners, whether you're part of Grace Church or not, and you might, and because I I would say this. I don't think there's any coldness in it at all. It's warmer than anything. Hmm. The truth is warmer than anything. And what I mean by that is I was the guy that used to be too afraid to tell anybody the real truth for fear of being rejected. At some point, a pastor elder has to stand up and say, thus says the Lord, and proclaim it. and say, this is what it says. I didn't make it up. I didn't write the rules. I am just saying what it absolutely means and what the church has believed from since the time it was spoken. Now, we, we don't need to follow that up with, and you're crazy if you don't believe it. On the other hand, we want the believer to see all that they have in Christ mm-hmm. and not live lesser than mm-hmm. they have in Christ. Mm-hmm. So I would say this, you know, that anyone is saved is, is the marvel is the, of mercy, but it's warmer than anything to actually know these truths. Why? Because evangel- okay, people are dying and going to hell, there are some that will be saved and some will not be saved. And it's not up to me to be really, really good at evangelism mm-hmm. to get them saved, mm-hmm. which is what people are always trying to do, right? If I could just say it well enough, they'll get saved. Actually, if you just are faithful with it and kind and winsome and, mm-hmm. and you know, not a jerk to them, yeah. that they will hear the gospel and they will need to make that choice yep. to say yes or no to God. And, and the freedom of the will is very interesting. Uh, we have free will. Uh, R.C. Sproul was really good at, at explaining this in his books, uh, in his book Essential Truths of the Christian Faith. He explained in, in three pages something that all of us kind of go, "How can this be?" Uh, you have to ask the question: What's the will free to choose? And apart from God intervening, our will would never choose Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's where regeneration comes in. Mm-hmm. He regenerates us. Therefore, then we can believe. So, I think it's warmer than anything, and I think we need to be sensitive without. We can be sensitive and kind without pulling the rug out from underneath the truth, like mm. saying, you know, it's okay that you believe that. Like, I, I truly, truly want every Christian to believe what the Bible truly says and means. And I'm not saying I know every uh, uh, thing about what the Bible says and means, but I will give you with absolute 100% assurance, I know what the Bible says and means about salvation. Mm. And where I got it is a solid handling of the Word of God uh, looking for authorial intent, uh, a, a literal, grammatical, uh, historical hermeneutic, the same kind that Jesus held and the, and the apostles. And this is what the church has always believed. Now, yes, Arminius, Jacobus Arminius, uh, was born uh, you know, shortly before uh, John Calvin died. And he, he came up with some other ideas and pushed against Calvin's ideas. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, well, he was wrong on a lot of those ideas, but it infected the church greatly, and we didn't even know it. So I'd say, oh, dear believer, no one's trying to be cold. We're trying to be truthful, and that should help you be a more fervent witness. I wrote a paper in seminary once, and it was kind of had a cutesy title. I, I kind of embarrassed at the title now, <laughs> but it was evec- Election. <laughs> oh, boy, you're going to laugh at me. Election. I, I can give you a copy of it, too. Election plus evangelism equals encouragement and excitement. Ooh. And my, my whole exegetical paper, I wrote this in, I think, I 19, like 1986 or 87. 
and I, I type wrote it, wrote it on a typewriter, and it was why the doctrine of election should lead to more evangelism, not less. Hmm. And uh, look, you know, uh, one time there was a preacher that someone said to them, well, why don't you preach to just the elect if you think everyone's elect or not, you know, if someone's elect or not. And he goes, well, put a chalk mark on each one of them and I will. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can't? I'm going to preach to everyone. Mm-hmm. It's like we preach the gospel all to all people. That's what the g- gospel call is. That's what the Great Commission is. And, and I want everyone to know Christ. But I grievingly understand that not everyone will. Yeah. But that's why I want to be preaching the gospel. Yeah, preaching the so gospel. So, yeah, it's a very right. hard thing, and it's, it's, it, it's, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. I think th- maybe to button this one up, and then I want to talk about God's character too, but um, it does, I think, in terms of the warmness, I'm so thankful that when I'm praying for somebody, I can pray that God would actually intervene in their heart and mm-hmm. save them. You know, J.I. Packer makes this point in, the so- in Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God right at the beginning. Wherever you stand on this this question, everyone actually prays like they believe mm-hmm. that God is sovereign, you know, because you pray, Lord, please save yes. my friend. Please save my, my child, you know. So, so I think that there's great hope to think, one, God listens to my prayers. He hears. He's my Father who, who knows me, and He actually does hear and respond to my prayers. And as I'm pleading with Him, that's having a real effect, and He does have the power to save. Now, somehow, in how all this works out, He's obviously chosen before the foundation of the world, but I think that we could say that prayer is one of the means by which he, you know, moves forward that work of election. Mm-hmm. And so I can pray with confidence that he does hear and that there's this, there's a true and real impact in the world in response to how I'm praying. Absolutely. And I think the loving newsflash for everyone is, you know, this thing you're struggling with, where God determined something beforehand, well, let me blow your, your mind. Ephesians 1.11 in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who, here it is, mm. works all things according to the counsel of his will. So it isn't just salvation. He works all things after the counsel of his will. He, you know, Hebrews 1 says he upholds all things by the word of his power. But let me just, as we close, let me talk about the character of God. Because I totally understand, and, and please, dear listeners, we care about you, uh, we care about your feelings, but we also care about the truth, and we want you to know the truth, we want you to love the truth. We're giving you this in the most loving way so that you can actually wrestle with it and hopefully believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, someone might say, well, it doesn't fit with his character. And I mean this in the kindest way possible. That means that you don't fully understand God's character. I'm sorry, I, I'm not trying to put anybody down. But if someone says that predestination doesn't fit with God's character, they've got an imbalanced view of God. Well, he can only be loving or kind or patient, but he can't be just or wrathful you know, or, uh, or righteous or holy. But here's the, the mind-blowing one. I'm going to use the same word again. What attribute of God or what aspect of his character does predestination illustrate? You guys know? I'm asking Tanner and Connor. Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like in a lot of ways it illustrates all of his attributes, but especially I would think of his his rule, his okay. sovereignty. Okay. Yeah. So so wait till you hear this. You're going to be very surprised. It's right in the text. You know me. I always go, let's go back to the text. In love, he predestined us. And uh, people debate over whether that's a bridge term, in love. It's in agape, in agapao. Is that a bridge to... 
um, that we should stand holy and blameless before him in love. That's why he elected us, or is this he, he elected us, he predestined us in love. And uh, it's not necessarily a bridge uh, phrase, and I think it, it, it look, uh, Horner says it's, it's, it goes with the first phrase. Um, uh, S.M. Baugh, who probably wrote the best Ephesians commentary, says it goes with the latter phrase. It, there's a good case to make for both. It's tough. This is a tough one. Hmm. I, I think that it's in love. That the, it, it, out, it can be applied to holy and blameless in love, but that it really is in love he predestined us, which is mind-blowing because that means the predestination is because it's his, of It's love. his love, right. It's because of love. And if, I think if we could see that, it would expand our, our understanding of God and go, wow. And, and this makes sense. In, in chapter 2, but God, because of the great love with which he loved us, because of his mercy, blah, 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 blah. It's because of his loving kindness. Even in the Old Testament, his has said, you know, it's like his unmerited kindness and favor and love towards us is why he did this. Hmm. No, I, I'm feeling a little, I don't know if foolish is the right word. I was thinking sovereignty, and I feel like that's a pretty bald, you know, reading of it. Just like pure kind of cold sovereignty. But you're totally right. I completely agree love and um i was thinking of a, a passage exodus 33 uh moses mm-hmm. is is speaking with god and he just says in this kind of moment uh, of i guess maybe emotion moses said this is verse 18 of mm-hmm. exodus 33 please show me your glory yes and he said this is the lord speaking i will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name the lord and i will be gracious to whom i'll be gracious and i'll show mercy to whom I will show mercy. Yes. So in and then the next chapter is when he passes by and that great that great the Lord the Lord you know uh-huh. gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness uh-huh. and then he goes on to say and I'll by no means clear the guilty. So that passage is oh. amazing love yes. and justice. Uh-huh. This passage, the like kind of preemptive showing of his glory and what he says to Moses is one. You need to know that I am a God who's gracious and merciful. That my heart is to extend love to those who are undeserving. To, to draw back to myself those who've run away from me and pure, undiluted sovereignty. Mm-hmm. I'm gracious to the one to whom I'll be gracious. I'm merciful to the one to whom I'll be merciful. So it's just, I think it's striking that in this place where he has a chance to say to Moses, this is, this is my glory. It's my character is gracious and merciful. Right. And I am the king. I, I mm-hmm. do what I want, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think anything in our heart that wants to react against that, there is a place to say, Lord, please, I believe, help my unbelief. Would you humble me to see that this is an expression of your glory, you know, that you do what you want. And, and no one can hold back your hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, anything else that you would add before we land the plane on this one? Um, just that let's focus on God's great love. You know, that even in, you know, Looking there in, in Exodus 34, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, and this is what gets repeated the most about who God is and what he says about himself. The Lord, the Lord, basically Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. And yes, of course, forgiving and then um, visiting iniquity on those who refuse to repent. So let's remember God's great love drives his wonderful saving acts. I just got a book hmm. that came in yesterday. Oh, boy. And, uh, <laughs> I can't wait to I read was it. looking at this. The big, uh, to it's a beefy it. tome. Yeah. Yes, it's Herman, Herman Bovink, a great, great theologian. 
Whoa. This is from Westminster Seminary Look Press, but it's called The Wonderful Works of God. I'm going to have to get a copy and of that. This is basically, here's what God has done. And so um, I picked up a copy uh, this week. And I love and it. I'm, I'm excited. And it's got a beautiful cover as well, but it's The Wonderful Works of God. Has he always, I mean, I, I was going to say, has he always been popular? Uh, I feel like I hear all kinds of guys talking about Bavink right now. Yeah. Is that is he like in vogue? Is he is, you know, is he it like the season of uh, the year of Bavink? people? Interestingly, people, people, um, conservative and liberal theologians have liked him, huh. but he was very conservative and very, very strong on the doctrines of grace, and um, it was published originally in 1956. It was called Our Reasonable Faith. It was explaining our faith. I love it. Anyway, but let's remember yeah. the wonderful works of God. And the love of God shown in what He has done in Christ. Mm. Amen, listeners. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us today. Hope that was an encouragement to you. And uh, we would just encourage you, even finally, that the, the only way to really work these things out, if there's still that tension in your heart, is with the Lord in prayer. And uh, and there's a time aspect to this too, right? Working through it in time. So uh, hope that this was a help to you in in processing these things. And uh, we will talk to you next time on the podcast. Until then, have a great week, and God bless you.